Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers, and anyone who loves children books or books in general, since we talk about everything. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy, and I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet. I'm mom to two boys, a middle school teacher, a homeschooler, and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 45. Woohoo! It's May. I think you should have said, it's gonna be May. (laughs) Like Justin Timberlake. <laughs> oh, I guess it's already May, though. It's too late. <laughs> it's gonna be May. Yay, yay. <laughs> so we're recording this on May 1st. Isn't that May Day? It is May Day. May Day, May Day. I feel like it's the May Day when you're supposed to go give flowers to people and knock on their door and run away. Mm-hmm. But in my life, it's more like May Day, May Day, May Day. <laughs> like that's the May Day that we're having today. <laughs> Just saying, it's not up to a great start. At the end of this month, my little boy will be a high school graduate. So the countdown begins. Just kick him out. Just say, <laughs> get out of here. And it's your little boy. And it's the last time he will live in the house and remember Mother's Day or forget Mother's Day while still in the house. Oh my God, are you trying to make me Because I actually, I think that once they leave home, they actually do better with Mother's Day because that's, that's what's true. coming. Mother's Day. And it's horrendous. And can I just say (laughs) that I blame Hallmark for this? Because first of all, Hallmark needs like, you know, like there's Mother's Day and that's that's it. You got one shot to get it right for Sunday, but we need like Mother's Day Eve. Like you have Christmas Eve to kind of warm up. And then if you Christmas Day, if you have a family of boys, you definitely need like a run up to it. Like my boys (laughs) will be like at midnight on Saturday, they'll be like, oh crap, tomorrow's Mother's Day. We didn't get anything. Uh, mom, can I use your Amazon account? Right. That's helpful. That says love. Or my husband will be like at noon on Sunday. He'll be like, so, I mean, you want to go out for lunch or something? But so if we had like Mother's Day Eve, they could do all that crap on Saturday. And then they, I could like have my breakdown, throw things around that I get <laughs> mad about. Like, usually I have a girlfriend down the street and she has a very similar family. So then we'll both like commiserate and go for an angry walk on Mother's Day morning because (laughs) no one made any plans. I mean, this is how we roll. We've been doing this for years now. So if they had Mother's Day Eve, they could work out these problems and I wouldn't have to do that. They could just stay away from you on Mother's Day because they know they've made you mad and you could just have a day to yourself. Oh my God, that would be great. I had a neighbor (laughs) once and that was what they always did. They were like, Mother's Day, I do what I want and I leave my family and my husband's in charge. Father's Day, we do the opposite. I'm like, well, Father's Day is pretty much like every freaking day. So I mean, (laughs) hello. I'm like, that's a good idea. Just like have Mother's Day, just leave me alone. Mm -hmm. I don't want your like crappy candles again and mm-hmm. you're like last minute Gas Costco flowers <laughs> right just leave me alone just be like mom sleep in enjoy your day we'll vacuum we'll do the laundry we'll take care of lunch dinner everything that's what mothers want listen to me hallmark i've been a mother for 14 years and i know that for 14 years mother's day has sucked it's kind of like prom you know like you have high expectations and then it never right. <laughs> It's like what you right. And I I literally <laughs> see the, here's the Hallmark movie I want to see. I want to see the Hallmark movie for Mother's Day where everyone forgets and mom gets mad and she throws things and she goes for the angry walk and she's like, I hate Mother's Day. All of you go to hell. <laughs> that's the Hallmark Mother's Day movie that I can relate to. I, that's what I need. That's what I am. I think the problem is like my grandmother was she was a diva. I assume now it's looking back. I'm like, oh, she must have told them what to do uh-huh. because they always had like a corsage. Everybody went to mass with oh, grandma. Yes. We all went out for brunch. It was like this whole thing. But now I look back and I'm pretty sure she probably orchestrated it because her kids weren't that smart either. Same thing in my family. Mother's Day was a huge thing. All the women in the church had their corsages. And I think it was kind of driven by my grandpa, who was really close with his mom. And when we were younger, we would go out to eat. He would always take us all out to eat. Nice, big meal. Yeah. Really special of day. And, you know, and then when I got a little bit older, we would have a cookout at the my parents' farm, we have a cabin. And it's so it, it, because we would do that because then the women can't cook, the men are cooking, they grill and stuff. Of course, the women always brought side dishes or whatever, but you right, know. that they had to cook. Right. But you know, it was at least an effort. Yeah. Supposed to be where they didn't have to do anything. Yeah. Huge deal growing up. Huge deal. And then you became a mother and you're like, I remember the first year I was a mom, I really wanted that damn corsage because my whole life I'd always seen these beautiful corsages and I was like, please get me a corsage. But I I think my mom had, I think my mom had one for me because I, then I would always get corsages for everyone, all the moms, because I wanted everyone to have their corsage, but 
but yeah, I haven't, I don't think I've seen a corsage since then that I had, I had to let that go because it wasn't happening. <laughs> I um, would just be fine with like some dandelions. That's like, <laughs> but see, that's the difference too. You also grew up, like my mom gets screwed for Mother's Day too, because I only have brothers and I live across the world or across oh, the country, right, depending right. on where we are. So I think that if you don't have daughters, you're done. You get nothing. That's why your mom scored big because she's got daughters. Right. And that's why you get screwed because you have a son and I have two <laughs> and they're a mess. Poor boy moms. Maybe if you have a gay son, it works out. I don't know. Maybe Our hearts a gay son go out to the boy moms out there for Mother's Day. Because <laughs> apparently until they get married and find another yes. person that's going to take make this happen, you yes. get nothing. They all yeah. need good wives. I do usually get a very um, half-assed card that's scrawled together somewhere Sunday afternoon that says, Mom, we're sorry we screwed up on Mother's Day. <laughs> I have a collection of them. Mom, we're sorry we didn't get you anything for Mother's Day. And then it immediately is like, it's Baba's fault. He wouldn't take us shopping. <laughs> Always. It's always like that, or it's not my fault. Baba wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, so. then, so so you're right. When your boys are adults, they'll probably do something special for you. I, I don't know. That oldest one knows how to run Amazon like a champ now, and he <laughs> see, still seems to forget things. Or it's the same damn thing. And we're like, so I got you a candle. <laughs> I have thousands now. Thanks. How bad does our house smell? I mean, that's... <laughs> I burn candles constantly, not because I feel like I need them, but because I got to get rid of them. <laughs> Uh, and they did, they started, I have to say for my birthday, the oldest was like, why don't you just like, tell me three books you want? Oh, and I was like, good. Oh, that's a good idea. And he's like, and then I'll pick one. And he actually bought me all three. So Aww. maybe that's what I should start doing. I should just like have an ongoing list of books that I want. And then they can sort of pick as they go. That might be the better option. That's a good idea. You could like slip it on their beds at night, your little list of books. Like this right? is what I want. <laughs> I didn't used to say anything. And then I'd get really angry. And now I'm like, three days to Mother's Day, three yeah. days to Mother's Day, yeah. two days to Mother's Day. Have we done anything? <laughs> Remember, yeah. Yeah. your mother does everything. Uh, it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's, yeah, keep your expectations low. That's all I say. And to you new moms out there, well, it's going to be ugly. <laughs> it's just going to keep getting uglier. Yeah. I think in the beginning, my husband used to say, well, you're not my mom. Yes. <laughs> oh, mine does that all the time. And I'm just fly into a rage. And I was like, no, but I gave you two massively large-headed children. Right. So shut up. Seriously? Seriously. And P.S. If I'm not your mother, girl, do your own laundry. Fix your own meals. Come on now. Come on. Pay your own part of the bill. That's right. fine. Well, and then there's like those women who get like gifts, birthing gifts from their husbands when they give oh, birth that's to a generation a child. we are not part of, girl. What is a, a push present, right? God love the millennials. They know how to do things right. Well, they definitely know how to demand what they want. That's true. They definitely ask for what they want. Yeah. Our generation's more passive aggressive. <laughs> wait, I wait till you screw up and then I berate you. <laughs> totally. I mean, I could not be any more Gen X. I literally am the poster child for Generation X. Angry, sullen. I mean, like if you took that movie, what was it the, with Winona Ryder? Remember that great movie in the gas station? You know, they're always in the gas station. Reality Bites. Reality Bites. Yes. I am literally... Winona Ryder from Reality Bites, like meets menopause. It's it. Like still dark hair, still pasty pale, now fat and angry and still angry, just bitter, grumpy, cranky, surly. Surly is the nice word. I feel like that's it. That's where I've gone and I'm okay there. Oh my gosh. So anyway, that's all that's new. We, could, we got off on a tangent on that one. We got an angry Mother's Day tangent. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. <laughs> Keep your expectations low, Mother's Day is what I should say. There you go. Happy Mother's Day seems a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> just get through the day, Mother's Day. Yeah, just, okay. just survive. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be sitting at soccer. So that's pretty oh, much it. True. Um, yeah, well, I get what's new with me. Um, we went mushroom hunting this week for morale mushrooms. That was pretty fun. I I'm so afraid I would grab the wrong one. I know they look vastly different. It's like going to a sushi restaurant and being like, yes, I'll take the puffer fish. Let's see if it kills me or not. <laughs> like, that's the way I feel would happen if I went mushroom. Foraging is a little bit sketch. You're right. Yeah. But I guess I just grew up around morels enough that I can recognize them right away. Because in fact, our group, somebody did find a fake morale and I was like, oh no, that's not a morale. But that was, we only found one of those. So the rest of the ones we found were all morels. You went with a group. Oh yeah, of course. 
What do you like? Mother <laughs> mush, mushroom mamas? Yeah. No, we have the, our whack pack is a group of parents that we're all friends with. And yeah, there were about one, two, three, four, five, six of us that went seven. My sister joined us too. Where did you go in, in Indiana? We went to the property, our property. <laughs> oh my God. Now we can live there during a zombie apocalypse yes. because you can forage there too. Oh yeah. There's bear, there's raspberries on the property. I, and I'm, I think that there are fiddleheads too, but I'm not sure Ooh. because I do know that there some ferns aren't the ones that are edible. So I haven't figured out if they're the edible ones yet, but they're, they have those and then mushrooms. Feed them to your husband and see. <laughs> <laughs> On Mother's Day. We're going to experiment. Hey, I tried something new. Will you try it? Let me know. Let me know how you feel. How do you, how Check you back feeling? in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun though. We had a good time. We got found about a ton. I think 12. I think we found 12 mushrooms, which is not a lot considering, but it was I was just going to say, did that even like, that's like, you could maybe put them on a steak for like one mushroom a piece. Yeah. I mean, usually we just kind of divide them up and then everybody gets to saute a couple and yeah, mine are soaking right now because you got to get all the bugs out of them and the little wormy okay, see, things. This doesn't make it tasty. <laughs> this literally does not make it any tastier. Yeah. And then you put them in a little bit of flour and you pan fry them and they're pretty tasty. They're kind of like rich. They're they're just really a nice little delicate, rich treat. So you don't need a lot of them anyway, because if you ate a bunch of them, you'd probably be kind of sick because they're so they're they're just like a little treat. I'm, I'm not interested. I'm going to I'm going to pass. My really? dad used to like them. My dad ate them. I remember I ate them growing up. Like, yeah, it was like a kind of a rite of spring, you know, to get. Yeah. Miles. The only time people trespass on our property is when mushroom season hits. So, you know, got to share the love, the morale love. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, that's I'm, I'm not down. I don't know. I'm not. I can't do it. I, I don't think I have the guts. Well, look at you go. Yeah, that's ex- that's exciting, though. It's fun just to go out and hike. Oh, well, yeah, that was the best part. It was a beautiful day. It was like in the 60s. So perfect. Gorgeous day. We have had like one day in the 60s in like a month. I swear it's freezing out here. Well, we had last weekend, we went down the property. It was 90 degrees. <gasps> it was miserable. Are you for serious? Yeah, I'm for serious. It was insane. And that was the same week that it snowed. It had snowed that Monday. And by Saturday, it was 90 degrees. Yeah, I'm not ready for that yet. I mean, it's supposed to be 62, I think, here today, which will be nice. That's a perfect day. Because, yes, yesterday I sat and watched soccer in um, a hoodie and a long sleeve shirt and a winter jacket and a, ha- a stocking cap. So it was a little chilly. But today, <laughs> it's supposed to be a little bit warmer. Nice. So um, we shall see. We'll, I'll be the judge of that. And the other worst part, though, when you have these cold weather soccer games, we're far enough inland that it's not bad but most like about uh, let's say out of the six other teams we play four of them are on the water oh, so you're sitting on the freezing cold atlantic ocean on a freezing cold day and even there was a couple where i'm like oh my god i need like a full snowsuit if i have to sit here any longer it's just so cold you need one of those heated blankets or something that you, with the battery pack <laughs> i know i don't know like i think we have like six more or four Four, five or six more games. And then I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I feel like, what will that feel like? I won't be like running around like a chicken with my head cut off going to soccer every day. I might make it take a hobby. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like I don't work, but <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you really need to add more? Maybe just subtract no, something. It'd be nice. All right. So should we get started? I think we should. I think we should go to Mars because earth is kind of sucky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started. Welcome back. We uh, both read the same book this week. So we're doing STEM nonfiction. And the book we read is Packing for Mars for Kids by Mary Roach. So can you give us a little bit of background on it, Marky, please? Okay. So I was really excited for this book and it only came out on April 5th of 2022. So it's brand spanking new, kind of, but it's like a remix. Mary Roach wrote this book and I adore and love Mary Roach. She's one of the greatest science writers and one of the funniest science writers of all time. And her original book was called Packing for Mars, The Curious Science of Life in the Void. And that came out in 2011 and it's for adults and it's dense. And I read most of it. I'm going to give you some insights because I wanted to see how it pairs up. To the, the kid version. So what we read was the kid version, which is what just came out about 10 years after the fact. And she kind of 
remixed it and rewrote it and and packaged it in a way that's a little more digestible for kids. And this is her first foray into middle grade. And I really hope that she does this with some of her other books because my son loved it. And it's so weird. And the way that she picks like the grossest parts of things to tell you about is so up most kids' alleys. I got to tell you, like there were moments where I was like, I don't know if I can read any more about poop. The poop section got me. The skin section really got me. I had to skip part of that. But she has written Mary Roach. Everybody's seen her stuff. She wrote Stiff, which is all about like what happens to dead bodies, basically cadavers and stuff like that. That was the first one I read and I absolutely loved it. And these are all adult books. These are all grown up books. Yeah. yeah. Gulp, which is about the digestive tract. Grunt, which is about um, uh, the military, like kind of life in the military. She kind of embeds and does a lot of this stuff, but then she also does extensive research and interviews on the topic. So she kind of picks a topic and goes spook sort of about the supernatural boink, which I think we know what that's about. (laughs) And then her most recent came out last fall and that was fuzz. And it's about park rangers and it looks so fun. And that's what I, I hope she does that one or stiff next. I hope she breaks it down into middle grade level again, because they really are fun. She's been on the New York times bestseller list forever. Um, She's on NPR science Friday a lot. She's on NPR period, a lot. And uh, her TED Talk is one of the top 20 of all time. And have you ever watched it? No, I was going to watch it in preparation for this. And then I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with kids. (laughs) Did you know what it's about? No, what's it about? It's about orgasms. Oh, oh, hello there. Well, no wonder it's the top 20 of all time. Because I was like, oh, she has a top 20 TED Talk. I love TED Talks. I'm always watching them. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, that doesn't have anything to do with what we're going to talk about. So I guess I won't watch it. Well, hello there. (laughs) Well, maybe for Mother's Day. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So anyway, well, and we've seen this before. Uh, Poison Water. We read that one. I read the one about um, Compton Cowboys. Um, we, so we've seen this before where they've tried to take a very dense adult nonfiction book and then sort of pare it down into a middle grade. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. Poisoned Water was really good for upper middle grade. I was not a fan of the Compton Cowboys breakdown for middle grade, but I think Mary nailed it. I think she did a good job. I think she nailed it for middle grade, especially after reading a, the grown up version. It's so close, but yet not. So I think she did it. I think she's got the formula. And this one. So anyway, let's talk about it. Tell us about the book. So I wasn't really sure what this book was going to be about, but I guess the title does really nail it, like Packing for Mars, because um, I thought it would be more about like what we're doing to go to Mars and the science behind some of the stuff that, but no, this book is literally about kind of the history of what we need to pack to go into space, just like the mundane daily routine of living in space. And it was so fascinating, like things from food and toilets, like Margie mentioned, bathing supplies, motion sickness cures, like all the things that you think about when you're traveling. But this is basically how to do it in space. And it has the fascinating history behind all that normal stuff that we kind of take for granted on Earth, like pooping (laughs) and throwing up. Like, did you know you needed gravity to poop? Didn't know that. I learned so much about pooping. I'm I'm not even joking. I mean, and it's gross, but yet like the pooping and farting section, my son and I read this book together and the pooping and farting section had us in tears. I was laughing hysterically. Everything they had to do to train and test different pooping techniques was insane and stuff that you would just never think about. Like she mentions how you think astronauts are so glamorous, but you don't really think about all these day-to-day things that they still have to do in space and how it's not as easy as you think. And like the throwing up section, that part, I almost had to like skip a little bit because I was like, okay, I can't think about throwing up anymore. But like they were talking about how dangerous, she was talking about how dangerous it is to throw up in space um, because it stays by your face and nose because there's nothing to make it move and how they have to come up with a lot of different techniques to fix that. And just like how basically everyone gets motion sickness, whether they admit it or not. And so there's a ton of research that goes into um, figuring out cures for motion sickness or how to get them past it and how to manage throw up basically. So fascinating. They get so motion sick because there's not an up or down. And I didn't think about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, right. Because when you're motion sick, you look at the horizon, there's no horizon. You can't tell the floor, you can't stare Mm -hmm. at the floor because there is no floor. You don't know what's up, what's down. And if you move too fast, you're just going to make yourself sick. 
I mean, that mm-hmm. was fascinating. Even like my eight-year-old was like, that's really weird. The idea of how the, what makes you motion sick is your, your brain getting mixed signals because like your inner ear, your vestibular yeah, the little system. signals that tell you like if you're up or down or if you're laying down, they are floating. Those little sensors. She called them like, uh, she called, calcium, she called them calcium stones. stones. Yeah. Like little stones. She's like, yeah. they're floating. And so it's constantly like, and if you move around, then it might hit the side of your ear, which makes you think you're laying down. And then it might be, think you're standing up and how confusing that is for your brain. Um, I thought that was super fascinating. Also, so cool. I didn't realize she got to go on the vomit comet, which is the airplane. I didn't either. That was, and I love it. That she was always getting in trouble because right. she got to, <laughs> They were like yelling at her, don't do this, don't do that. What do you do? It's like she's always yeah. in trouble. I'm like, oh, Mary, we can girlfriends. I know, friends. that's what I thought too. She's like, this is my one chance to do this. Because she's like, they tell you not to like mess around and fly around like you're Superman because you're there to do a very specific, she was there to do a very specific science experiment, which was, what was the science experiment they were doing? Um Oh, how to weld, yeah, how, to, how to weld in space. Right, because they were concerned about like any of the little um, heated up particles, if it gets into the space suits, it could burn through it. And then they don't have, um, that's not closed anymore and they're in da- puts them in right. danger. So she was with a team from a university who were trying to figure out how to weld in space. But I didn't realize this, how cool is every team like that takes along a journalist to kind of take notes and to interview everyone as part of the research. And so she was the journalist and she was more fascinated with her notebook floating next to her. Right. And there's a great picture of her in the book doing it too. And then she was doing Superman stuff and she was like putting her foot on the experiment. And yeah, she got in a lot of trouble. It was pretty funny. But I love that she just took that opportunity to experience it in the moment. Well, it gives the credibility to everything she's writing about too. And even like she said, she had the good sense. She'd asked so many people before that, that she had the good sense to take the drama mean like way yes. before. And the one kid that was supposed to be doing the experiment was like, no, I'm not going to get sick. And then they had to like, he was barfing so much. They had to strap him into the back of the plane. They had so to he- sedate him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's mixed. That's cool. And all that's in the book and it's in the grown up book too. Oh, is it? Okay. Almost everything that's in the book, it, it's in the grown-up book, but it's kind of pared down and explained a little bit more. And some of the really boring stuff, there's a lot of stuff about the Russian cosmonauts in the main book that's not in the kids' book, just because it's kind of boring. And she kind of highlighted the good stuff, like the farts and the food and the, the gross stuff, which is interesting. And some of the adult book is more about more of the history of the space race. And while the kid book does talk a lot about like John Glenn and, and the astronauts and the first missions, the other one goes into everything in much more detail. It would be fun if you and your kid were both into the whole idea of space. It would be really fun to read them both together. But I have to say, I read them simultaneously because I was reading one with my son and then reading the grown-up book by myself. And I kept forgetting, wait, did I read that here or did I read that there? You know what I mean? They were a little too close for me to keep them straight, which is fine. Well, I mean, the cool thing about that is if your kid is interested in something from the kid's book and you have more details from the grown-up book, then you can share that with them, you know, based on their interest level. But I got to say, my little guy is, he's not a bad reader. He is dyslexic. He's not a, he's reading, you know, he's a pretty solid seven, second grade level, maybe lower third grade level reader. He didn't, he didn't struggle with reading. We'd be read aloud. I would help him with a lot of the names and stuff. So the reading level is good. I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, if I gave him this book on his own, he might struggle more, but uh, we read it together and you know, it wasn't beyond him at all. So, I mean, word choices and stuff are fantastic for middle grade. As I was reading it, I kept thinking this is for lower middle grade because it was very simplified reading. I mean, every once in a while, she would throw in like her humor, which was sort of like shortened sentences or little, you know, do little things like that, that I thought, oh, that's a little bit more complicated for maybe third and fourth graders. Yeah, I agree. Um, But as far as content and everything, I felt really like lower middle grade. I know there is some stuff in there that made it a little bit, she mentions an astronaut who had some suicidal thoughts and how they handled that. But for the most part, I felt like, yeah, third and fourth graders, I think would eat this up because it's all the gross humor and all that kind of stuff in it. Fifth, sixth. Yeah. The one thing that my son was really thrown on and I didn't even catch that he didn't understand it. And I'm sure it would be the same of a lot of kids. He didn't know what this, what, when she kept saying like Soviet astronauts or the Soviet space station, he's like, what does that oh. mean? And I was like, oh my 
my God. Yeah, I bet they would. I mean, these kids are, hello, they were born in like, you know, like if you're born after like 2010. That word doesn't even come up. Like, what is that? It doesn't, we don't even refer to him as that very often. So that was something that kind of needed a little disclaimer because I'm like, oh, right. He's like, what is a Soviet? What does that mean? I'm like, oh, well, how about that? Well, here's a history lesson. So like, like you're saying, like everything's pretty accessible, but that's one thing that I'm like, huh. And Tang, he's like, what is Tang? And I'm like, <laughs> I wondered about that too, but they did call it orange juice. An artificial drink. Yeah. That's was like, funny. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. They were, he's like, what is a Soviet? I don't get Aww. it. <laughs> but you know, that's how you learn stuff when you ask questions. I love it. Yeah. She has a lot of things in both books, more so in the adult book, but, but in the kids book, she has it too, where she actually includes the, um, the script from the actual radio communications between mission control. And I love that. She has a lot of that. The one thing I got to tell you, this is super cool. in the grown up one, which didn't really make much to the kid version. She starts by talking about how in Japan they do these, like she talks a lot about how they put them in isolation chambers or whatever to kind of see if they can handle it and how to, you know, like how to get ready to go to space. But in the one, the grown up book, she goes to Japan and she observes from the outside for a while. And um, you know what they have them do? They have to make, they have like three days, they have to make a thousand paper cranes Hmm. and then they have to string the paper cranes. They have by origami, but they don't have like really explicit directions and they have to string the paper cranes on a thread in time in chronological order. And then they have to, they keep taking back time. Like, okay, you only have like 30 more minutes to finish these or whatever by the end. So then they see if the first paper crane loses any quality to the last paper crane as the pressure and time decreases and the pressure increases and and with limited instruction to see like how they can think on their own and how they can um, adapt, how they do with pressure and everything. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I wish she would have put that one in the, in the kid book, because that would have been a great, because we did make paper crane after that. Like I was Mm -hmm. telling my, my youngest about it and we made paper cranes to see like how hard they were. So it'd be a great tie in with the book, with the kid books. I wish you could have put that little bit in there, but I'm sure, you know, you only have limited space. It's a small book though. I thought it It would be bigger. It's it's only like what, 130 pages or something. And a bunch of them are photos. So it's great for anybody who's a reluctant reader because- it's not intimidating at all. I do wish there had been more, a little bit more about Mars. And I think that in the first book, we weren't as close because in 2011, we were definitely not as close to going to Mars as we are now. So I wish that there were a little bit more about Mars. I kept thinking that too, because like all of the historical stuff, like about how to go to the bathroom and stuff, I th- it would have been nice to see. And this is what they're doing now in preparation for Mars, you know, just a little bit about yeah. how it's evolved from the very beginning to now. Yeah, that would have been nice. But obviously she would have had to do more research to add all of that in. So I don't know. Yeah, that was that's the one thing where I was like, oh, that's something I would like to see more of. But otherwise, I was pretty satisfied, Me I must too. say. So we read this book. My nugget and I read this book this week. This was one of our, uh, we, I just picked this book up and I said, we're going to read this this weekend. Then we'll try to like tie some stuff in for school, for homeschool with it. We read about the gravity part and then we calculated his weight on Mars versus on Earth. And then I found this really cool thing, like a, um, it was a mathematical formula to calculate if you can jump this high on Earth, how high would you jump on Ooh, Mars cool. because of the gravity? So we did the math with that. We had we jumped. He jumped, I should say. Um, he jumped. We measured it. We did that like three times to figure out how high he would jump off if he was on Mars. And he thought that was the coolest thing ever. And then we built a model of Mars and compared the size comparison to between Mars and Earth. And we painted a version of Mars with the water. We did a watercolor painting of Mars landscapes. And we watched this video called Packing for Mars, which has an absolutely no connection to the book. And Mary, you should trademark that. <laughs> um, and it was like a French company made it, a French uh, production company made it. And it was pretty interesting. We found that on YouTube. And then we wrote an opinion piece about would you go to Mars? And then we did a one page book report. So, and that was all in one week and it was very simple and we don't do school all day. So we only do a few hours of school a day. So we got a lot done. If there's a lot you can do with it. Great projects. He's not like a space nut. Like there are kids out there that I have taught in the past that are space Mm -hmm. nuts. And my guy is not like that. My little nug. I mean, it's interesting because he he's interested in science and he likes the, he likes to think about weird things. So it was good. He liked it a lot. And we were able to tie in a lot. That's so cool. When 
when my son was little, uh, I don't know, maybe like second grade or something, we did astronaut camp one summer and every day we did something different, like stuff that astronauts have to think about and do. And, uh, it was so fun. I gave him this blanket and each day I made a patch out of felt. This is when I had way too much time on my hands. Right. And only (laughs) one child. I made a little patch for every lesson that he learned, um, that was associated with that. And then we would sew it onto his blanket wherever he wanted it. And so I still have that blanket and he remembers that he actually, that's kind of part of his whole, cause he's going to be studying education in college and he liked those kind of hands-on and kind of creative, like you, you do so many hands-on creative learning things. He's all about that. Because kids learn better. I know he thinks everybody should have, should get to learn that way, you know, instead of lectures and reading from texts, everything should be kind of hands-on fun projects. Experiential, experiential learning is where it's yeah. at. And child-led learning. I'm all about that. So yeah, very cool. That sounds so much fun. Wow. So would you go? Would I go to Mars? Yeah. This week, I spoke to a group of fifth graders about my book, Blizzard on the Plains, right? And we and we were uh-huh. talking about a lot about immigration, which was really interesting because a lot of the kids in the class were first-gen Americans, which was really cool. A lot of their parents yeah. come from England or different places in Asian countries and stuff. It's so interesting. But so we talked a lot about immigration because a part of that book has a lot to do with my personal family's immigration story in the late 1800s from Scandinavia. And so we were talking about that, like at that time in the late 1800s, when you moved to the United States, it was pretty much a one-way journey. You're You're not not going going back. back. You're not going to see your, you know, family back there again. You're not going to see your homeland again. Um, And so it's such a fascinating thing to think about. Like, would we do that today? And obviously Mars is one. Yeah. I mean, Mars, you, you hopefully are coming back, but you might not. You might be living on Mars. It's a very slim yeah, chance. And yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I'm not going. You wouldn't go? I'm too fat. I'm not going. Right. If I was 20, I would probably definitely have done it because I was very adventurous in my 20s. I like to travel a lot then. I have too much claustrophobia and too much dislike of people to spend eight months on a, on a spacecraft to get there. I get motion sickness pretty easily. So I was thinking a lot about that. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I don't think I could make it through the training. They'd put me on that spinny chair and I'd be hurling all over. I'm like, done. I'm out. I'm done. Thanks for playing, but I'm done. Yeah. I don't think it's for me. So the darkness, I think the darkness would be really, and they said a lot of the astronauts said that in the books too, like that darkness. I thought it was interesting how the astronauts missed walking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, could I thought that see was that, interesting. Totally. And how they had to add a table to the um, International Space Station because that people miss sitting down to eat, even though you don't have to do that there. They still wanted just the experience of the human experience of sitting down and talking while you're eating. Yeah. And I'm like such an outdoorsy person. I would admit, I probably would go crazy because I wouldn't be able to like actually physically feel wind and, you know, be outside. Yeah. There was never a part in my head as a kid either where I was like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. I never would have entered my mind. I just, I don't know. And I, again, like you said, they are seen as these like super hero kind of people. And it really is a terrible job. Right. <laughs> right. It's like torture. She, like, she interviewed the one guy and he, would you recommend being an astronaut? He's like, well, it's got terrible food. You can't leave. You work 24 hours a day. You're at somebody else's it's like physically and emotionally controlling everything that you do. Um, you're in a tight, cramped space. You have to work under great pressure. You're basically doing what anyone tells you to do. You don't get to think on your own. And the pay is really crappy. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I would have tested. No, that's a hard pass. It sounds like parenthood or something. Like, no, it's just terrible. Yeah, it was funny because the way the guy, the astronaut, I can't remember which astronaut it was either that she interviewed, but the way he put it, I was like, yeah, that is not a selling point. Who would want to do this job? And you have to be like the smartest of the smartest. On top of everything. Yeah. My son and I have seen several astronauts speak. We Whenever they there's an astronaut within, you know, 10 miles of us that's giving a talk, we always go. And uh, the one thing that they do say that does make me think how fascinating it would be is this experience that they all have after doing it of like 
the world being smaller than you think, or just like this new perspective on like, they're very like anti-war, anti-boundaries, anti, you know, like not anti, but they just don't, they see the world from a whole different perspective. From a different view. Yeah. I just find that part of it, like that shift in their psychology, it's just fascinating. And they all talk about it. They all talk about how they just have like this completely different view of the world when they come back. And that's pretty fascinating. It's a great book. It's a great concept. It really makes you think. It makes the kids think. It would be a great read aloud in class in a, you know, like an upper elementary class. It would be a great read aloud. It would just be a jumping off point for so many discussions and so many conversations and so many projects. So Mary, we're fangirling you. She did a great job. We're fangirling you. We love you. But do more, Mary. That's what we have to say to you, Mary Roach. Please do more. Take more of your fabulous books, maybe not the sex one, <laughs> and um, put it down for middle graders because I would like to read more to my kid. That's what I have to say about that. So, very, very good. Okay, that wraps up our book chat. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with this week's pick six. Not a May May a May pick six. <laughs> oh, I'm totally leaving it. Okay. So, because as we all know, I look so excitedly towards Mother's Day, um, as I've mentioned earlier. For this week's pick six, we're going to wish you all mothers out there a very happy Mother's Day for when your family forgets. And we're going to give you six great nonfiction reads for grown-ups that you can use to go hide in the corner, maybe hide in a hammock if it's warm where you live and you're not in New England, hide out and read all Mother's Day long and pretend that you are alone and single for that one day and dive into a book. Yeah, that's good. Um, So want to start us off? I know what book I would love for Mother's Day. Hint, hint. That's uh, if you're listening to your, you know, your <laughs> wife right now. It's Jane Austen's Table, a recipe inspired, uh, recipes inspired by the works of Jane Austen, including picnics, feasts, and afternoon teas. And this is by Robert Tuesley Anderson. Um, Jane Austen's Table just came out October of 2021, and I totally want it. <laughs> it's so you. It sounds so you. I know. I've been rewatching some. Jane Austen movies lately just because I love them. So it makes me hungry just like thinking about like trifles and little beautiful pettifors and cakes and all that stuff. I love it. Um, this is uh, Anderson's second cookbook. He also wrote recipes from the world of Tolkien, which is pretty cool. From what I can tell so far, I mean, I haven't read this book and obviously I'm hoping to get it as a gift, but the recipes aren't like true Regency era recipes, but more recipes kind of inspired by Jane Austen. Like modernized? Yeah. So like, you know, people who are true like Regency era fans and hardcore Austenites, I don't know what they're called, um, might not really dig it. And I think it's cool to experiment with old recipes. I do have recipe books that are like actual authentic, like this is how they used to cook, but it's always easier when they're translated to modern kitchens. I'm just going to say that. And it's more fun. Well, especially so you can find the ingredients, you know, and you don't have to figure out like how to measure weird things and stuff. And it's just more fun and the less hassle. So I think this sounds fantastic. And, you know, there are so many literary themed cookbooks out there that I'm sure you can find one that fits whatever books you love. Another thing about this that I think is so cool too, is that like at preschool, I love to tie food to a book. I can read the book to the kids and then we can try the food that's in it. It's just such a great way to make like these concepts tangible. And so why not for grownups too? I love it. Like read your book while you're eating your little tea cakes or whatever that you made for yourself. Isn't that fun? I think that's so cool. Uh, For my other two picks, I'm always reading like a writing craft book and a book on education because those are my two interests. Um, The education book I'm enjoying right now is Balanced and Barefoot, How Unrestricted Outdoor Play Makes for Strong, Confident, and Capable Children by Angela J. Hanscom. I have seen that book. I've seen that book. Yeah, it's pretty popular. I think when did it? Oh, 2016, it came out. Um, it, She's a pediatric occupational therapist who also then, when she had her children, she stayed home and, but she became the founder of Timbernook, nature-based programs for kids, kind of like Tinker Garden. I don't know. It reminded me of Tinker Garden where like that's for little kids and like 
it has a lot of outdoor stuff, but also just other kind of STEMI stuff. But Timber Nook is like programs where like you could have a birthday party done by Timber Nook, that kind of stuff, but it's all nature-based and it's for older, right. a little bit older kids. I'm sure they do young kids too, but it seemed to be kind of focused on more grade school age kids and middle school. So the preschool teachers in my area were reading Balanced and Barefoot um, for a book club. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that you can like share ideas through a book club. Yeah, I have to say the co-op school um, association that I'm a part of is so fantastic for teachers. They have a ton of teacher study groups that they do with just, they bring in speakers, they talk about different topics, they all share. Um, at the end of the year, I didn't, I didn't get to go to the last one. I actually, I haven't gone to any this year cause I'm just part-time this year, but I, all my, my teacher friends go. So I hear everything about it. Well, they don't invite you cause you're part-time. Oh no, I could go if I wanted to, but it's not required. So they're being like exclusive. No, 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 no. It's just not required for me. So and I, I always, want to go. I have every intention of going. <laughs> Usually something happens and I don't go. But um, at the last one, they all like kind of did a year in review. Like what were some things that went well? What were some things that went wrong? How would you have handled it differently? Like just really cool way they share everything. So it's just so amazing. But anyway, so this book was something that they were sharing, Balance the Barefoot. It's similar to, it kind of reminds me, this book is sort of in the spirit of The Last Child in the Woods by Richard Lou which is a very popular book, education book. And um, I've recently mentioned There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather by Linda McGurk, which is also kind of in that vein. But Bounce and Barefoot came out in 2016, as I mentioned. It's all about practical ways to help kids build confidence by giving them freedom to explore outside uninterrupted which is huge. The uninterrupted part is a pretty big deal. I've kind of noticed that modern parents have a hard time just letting their children like run and play. Um, they think they need to be scheduled to learn, you know. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Although younger parents are definitely start get this. They're Yeah. But maybe our generation was worse about this. They thought kids need to be scheduled. Kids learn so much during those kind of free times when they're just left to play and experiment and figure things out on their own. I think teachers might gain a little bit more from the book because there's not a lot of like actual practical ideas for parents to use like, oh, go do this with your child and they'll learn this. It's not kind of like that. It's more about like the history of how um, nature learning is evolving and what's happening with it and how important it is and um, stuff like that, but it's also a pretty quick read. So it's probably, it's, I definitely think it's worth it. And then um, the new craft book that uh, is in my TBR pile right now, I haven't started reading it is craft in the real world, rethinking fiction writing and workshopping by Matthew Solisis. He's a Korean American author. It came out in January of 2021. So it's a pretty new book. A lot of people are talking about it. It's basically offering up new perspectives on writing from a kind of a non-white man perspective. Well, there's a change. <laughs> I know, right? It, it challenges like the traditional norm, basically. It kind of has had mixed reviews, but I think it's worth a read. I always like to learn new perspectives or learn about new perspectives. Um, there's a lot of new craft books for writing coming out based kind of in this idea. And this is all fiction writing, but um, I think it's fascinating. So my three books are Jane Austen's Table, Balanced and Barefoot, and Craft in the Real World. Okay, so um, this is just to point out to the listeners who have not figured this out yet, that we are literally night and day, just like we are blonde and brunette, and just like she's spending her time <laughs> reading about craft books and Jane Austen, and most importantly, that she's spending, Heather is spending her time re-watching Jane Austen movies, I am spending my time watching Love After Lockup. <laughs> and the books that I have chosen are very reflective of my personality, as hers are reflective of hers. So my um, full disclosure, I started my journey in grad school and in writing as a nonfiction writer and creative nonfiction is my jam. So with the exception of like some murder mysteries, I tend to always gravitate towards nonfiction reading. Um, just like I tend to gravitate towards the trash concept in Love After Lockup. P.S. VTV. Love it. Um, and if you're not watching it, you should. I like to hear people's stories and I like to hear a backstory. I love to dig into the ugly reality of people's lives. Again, Love After Lockup. Where you like pretty things and the beauty of nature and the thought process, I like the gritty ugliness. So my first one actually is a massive throwback. Now, this book came out in 1996. 
92 or 96. I think it came out in 96. Let me double check. Yeah, 96. It came out in 96. I did not read it then, though I um, should have. Somehow that was my, I was in graduate school at the time and I had no time to read. So if it wasn't assigned to me, I didn't read it. But now somehow this has crossed my desk many times and I never read it, but I'm I'm in a uh, hiking group for homeschool. And one of the moms suggested we read this for our book group. So I was like, oh yeah, cool. Uh, We read Into the Wild by John Krakauer. And this is the story of Chris McCandless, who decided that he was going to um, live off the land in a great Alaskan adventure. And then this is not 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 funny, but as one might expect, was then found dead uh, in a bus, starved to death because he didn't know what he was doing, basically. And long story short, I'm not even going to tell you, though, that's not how he died. And even though this book has been out since 1996, he did not die the way that anybody thought that he died. And I was like, well, I'll be dying mm-hmm. I, from 1996. And I never got the spoiler. Everybody kept that a secret. It did. You don't know how it ends. Honest to God, he explains how it ends at the end of the book. And I was like, well, I will be damned. Who knew? I had no idea. So it's a really great book. The hard part for me was I'm like, when you're listening to this book or you're reading this book, you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. Like this must have happened. Like you have this set in your mind that it's like sort of like on the road with Jack Kerouac. Like it happened so long ago because he's hitchhiking and he's, he calls himself super tramp because he's tramping around the U S and he's doing all these insane things. And then I stopped to think about, I'm like, oh my God, I would have been in college with this guy. This guy literally is just a couple of years older than me. Like, so you know the world from which this is happening. And it's really not that long ago. I mean, I guess it is if you're, uh, you know, 30 years old. It probably seems like a really long time ago. But for those of us that are in our 40s and 50s, we're the same age as this guy. We lived in the time that this happened. It's so interesting. And now looking back at this book for this guy who decided to sort of abandon life and go into the wilderness, you look at it from the perspective as his mother and you're like, oh my God, those parents, like how horrible was it for them? John Krakauer wrote this as an article for um, Outdoor Magazine. And then it was, it was so, people flooded him with information. Like I knew this guy, I gave this guy a ride. I gave this guy, I told him he, if this wouldn't work. I, and all these people started to email him and send him messages. Uh, maybe it was snail mail because it was the 90s. And then he, so he turned it into a whole book and he kind of retraced his steps and he found out what actually happened to him. Wow. So it's a great book. It's a great book because even when they picked it at first, I was like, wah, wah, wah. that's a Debbie Downer. No, it was great. It was awesome. I also felt like, oh, this is going to be like man goes into the woods man book, but it's really not. It's more of a biography of this poor guy's. He was so idealistic and he wasn't nuts. I mean, he was a little nuts, but he wasn't as nuts as you might have thought he would be. So that's uh, Into the Wild. And that's pretty readily available because it's an old book, but it is a classic. And a lot of schools do assign it. So, you know, maybe your kids read it. Who knows? Uh, I think my son read it. Yeah. Yeah, It's a good book. It's a really good book. I got to say. So that's for my crunchy moms. For my moms that are really into mental health, I'm suggesting anything by Jenny Lawless. And Jenny Lawless was the bloggist. She started off her fame as a blogger in the early 2000s. And um, her books, she's got three books. I recommend Let's Pretend This Never Happened. And it's very funny. She has a lot of struggles with mental health and she documents a lot of her journey in her books, but there, she does it with such honesty and openness and so much humor that you can't help but love them and you can't help but love her. So there, even if you don't struggle with mental illness, you know, somebody that does you, or it's just a great read, you know, like this, let's pretend this ever happened. It's just hilarious. She's into taxidermy animals and she's like, fills her home with taxidermy animals just because they're like her father was a taxidermist and she really likes them. And then her husband's always like, what on earth is this giant thing in our house? So they're just funny stories. And intertwined with that is sort of her trying to manage this chronic depression that she has. Um, Broken in the Best Possible Way is her most recent book. And that tends to deal more with her mental health issues than the other ones. Let's pretend this never happened and Furiously Happy. All of them are great books. Those are my picks for that. And my final book is (laughs) So this is for my homeschool moms that need this like a little bit of reassurance that you're not crazy because let me tell you, here's a story about someone who's crazy. Educated by Tara Westover, it has been everywhere. And every time I read about it, everyone's like, is this true? So I'm about halfway through it. It is spellbinding. Like you can't stop. It is so interesting. You're like, this cannot be true. This can't be true. But then you hear the next part, you're like, okay, well, that's weird, but I kind of believe it. So she grew up in a family of, like her father was bipolar. Uh, He was a survivalist. They were sort of like doomsday preppers. There were 
I think there were eight kids in the family. There was kind of like an older group and then a four and then a younger group of four. And she's in the younger group of four. Out of these eight children, three went on to get PhDs. The claim is that there was no formal education at all in the home. And so this was sort of like her own quest to kind of find formal education or educate herself. That's where it gets a little bit, you're like, hmm. Her father was um, very off the grid. They were, I think I said they were Mormons, right? They were, what's that? There was a whole thing that happened in Idaho where they shot, there was the standoff and they shot the other family. It wasn't Warren Jeffs. It was anyway, there was this whole sort of standoff and that's kind of what pushed her father over the edge. And really they went hardcore into that. And that sort of starts the book. So this is all happening in the early 2000s. Uh, I think she's like 27 or 28 when the book was released. She's very young. So it's interesting. But the whole time you're like, mm, I don't know. Is this really true? And that's a constant discussion you see everywhere. Is this really true? Could it really have been like this? Did it really happen like this? And that often happens with nonfiction. So today when I was looking into some of this, um, I found out her mother, Loray Westover, Tara is the daughter who wrote the book, Loray Westover wanted to hear her side of the story. And she says that much of this is true, but much of it is not, especially the education part that she was a very adequate homeschooling mother. And so she wrote a book and published it herself, but it is all over. And I think some big publishing house actually did pick it up and it's called Educating. So the first one is educated. And then the mother's book version is educated. So I thought if you need some mother daughter drama for Mother's Day, because you don't have enough of your own, you could buy both of them. (laughs) You can read both of them and get both sides of the story. So educated by Tara Westover is an interesting tale into this growing up with this isolated life and sort of educating yourself. And then her mother's rebuttal is called educating by Larray Westover. So that's a little mama drama if you need it. Which I think is really interesting. And you know, I'm writing the mother's book. You know, as soon as I'm done, I'm going to read the mother's book. I can't. I have to hear both sides of the story. Of course. I have to. So it's a controversial book that I think is, um, if you like to get into a little bit of love after lockup style drama like I do, I am there for that. Okay. So my three picks were Into the Wild by John Krakauer, which is a great one to revisit if you haven't read it yet. And any Jenny Lawson book, but particularly Let's Pretend This Never Happened and Educated by Tara Westover. And Educating by Lorraine Westover. The rebuttal to Educate It, if you will. Because that's something I would do as a mother. Like, oh, you're going to publish a book telling how bad I was? I'm going to publish one back. That's exactly what I would do. That's exactly what I would have done, too. I don't blame her. Like, You're going to hear my side of the story. Anyway, that's it. That's what we got. Those are my three picks. Cool. So what's happening for our next episode? So for our next episode, we're looking at fantasy books from some diverse perspectives. I'm going to be reading Amira and Hamza and the War to Save the World by Samira Ahmed. And you're fangirling with your girl, Pam Munoz Ryan and her new book, uh, Salamar. Yes, I cannot wait. I just need the record to state that this morning I wanted to make sure I got the title of Amir and Hamza Save the World by Samir Ahmed. And you know how Google predicts based on what you're typing in? There have been, um, in the last couple seasons of 90 Day Fiance, there have been both an Amira and a Hamza. And um, my <laughs> Google automatically gave me the dirt on both of them as opposed to just taking me to the book. So that's what my Google search engine knows. <laughs> <laughs> the 90 day fiance gossip lovely it knows you well keep it classy that's me keep it classy well that wraps up this episode of tulip mama's podcast i hope you enjoy learning about packing for mars by mary roach um so if you like what you've heard please leave us a review and share us we'll love you forever i mean unless it's bad then i'm going to use my love after lockup skills to come for you no. <laughs> There's a woman on Love After Lockup that's a private eye and she's my hero. And she keeps like dressing in disguise and, and busting the criminal doing things. The guy that was in jail that's dating her daughter. I love her so much. And then I was like, she's so badass. And then it dawned on me. I'm like, oh my God, she's my age. <laughs> I want a mother like that. La, la, la. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, I guess I could be her. I could literally be Yolanda. If you people that are watching Love After Lockup, you know who Yolanda is. Give her some props. She's amazing. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I will use my Yolanda skills if you don't give us a nice review. And if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to the Two Lit Mamas podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to find out what's happening in our worlds and how Yolanda's doing, um, you can give us a follow on Two Lit Mamas podcast on Instagram or Two Lit Mamas on Facebook and on our website, www.twolitmamas.com. Have a wonderful month. Mother's Day when your children forget. Know that we're thinking of you. We see you and your pain. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.